We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I hope you're still celebrating because Arsenal Football Club are champions of the NFL. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Buckman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Congratulations, Gooners. We have a world championship on our resume now. That's right. Because we are a franchise, and when one franchise wins, all the franchises win. KSE gets a Super Bowl title, and that means Arsenal get a Super Bowl title. I don't know if we get to put that in our trophy cabinet too, but I, I am sure you are feeling as thrilled about that as I am. The sense of success just washing over me. We had a plan. We trusted the process. Who needs Aubameyang? He didn't help us win the Super Bowl, did he? To be fair, Mikel Arteta. Well, Mikel Arteta apparently had a call with Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams. So maybe, maybe Mikel Arteta did have a direct impact on it. But the point is, we won it. We could feel all right. You know what? Enough of this nonsense. Look, the Rams won the Super Bowl. I think the biggest talking point from that event was the halftime entertainment, which I think went down pretty well and most people enjoyed. Your mileage may vary, but I actually found it nice. I mean, from a nostalgia standpoint, it hit me in the feels. Um, Upside down 50 cent was definitely something I didn't have on my bingo card, but there you go. Um, I think we will discuss it because it is a Monday that we didn't play over the weekend and there's only so many things to discuss. So we will discuss it not from the standpoint of the game and the NFL, but maybe we'll just, we'll indulge the question of does it have any ramifications for Arsenal? Uh, you can probably guess from my tone what my instincts on that are. But hey, why not? What else are we going to talk about? We'll talk about top four. We will laugh at Spurs and United. But look, if you really want to laugh at Spurs and United, yesterday we broke out the microphones and did a full schadenfreude episode uh, for patrons uh, that also dives into the statistical possibilities for top four. So if you want to do that, you can check that out. But it's time to get the more important people into this podcast. Uh, too late already, but let's do it. Tim's on Twitter. Hello, hello Tim. Hello there. Tim, are you celebrating your, I think the kids call it ratio of the official Wolverhampton Wanderers <laughs> account on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I'm not sure I've managed that before. So yeah, very nice. Um, I, but I'm not celebrating it though out of hashtag respect because we all know that celebrating things is very, very unbecoming and we should all wear hair shirts and uh, forlorn looks on our faces for our entire lives. 
if there's one thing we know, it's that the world and life in general the past few years has been too fun and too enjoyable and celebrating mm-hmm. additional things is to- total, utter nonsense. It is decadence and we should not engage in it. It's I agree. meretricious. That's what it is. Oh, there's a good word. See, I didn't have that one in my lexicon, but you had it. Uh, okay, Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. You have uh, anything you want to add to the vernacular today and any, any perspicacity you want to drop on us? No, I'm thinking about football. Though. I've got some football thoughts going through my head, um, but you'll see when they come. If they come out, are you are you sitting far from your microphone only because you feel very atmospheric? You don't you don't have that presence that we normally get from you. But that's you know, okay. Okay, I'll have a look. But I'll, I don't look. I don't want to direct you. I just want you to you to bring the genius and let me deal with the audio after the fact. But you know, at the same time, uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo! How was your weekend? Pause. Good. It was great. Um, uh, I see you're out there jinxing us with your schadenfreude uh, pod. Don't be giving me any shit over saying Ben White never gets injured. But yeah. uh, no, it was a great weekend. I enjoyed watching uh, and wallowing in uh, the struggles, travails of our opponents while we won the Super Bowl. Yeah, luxuriating in it, you might say. Look, I I did us all a favor. I did not tweet through the uh, the Wolves-Spurs game. So mm. I feel like I did my job, held my fire. I had to do a Schadenfreude pod though because I was bursting at that point. It's kind of like when you've you've got a surprise party planned or a you know gift that you bought for a loved one and you, you want to tell them about it, but you're supposed to wait. Uh, so I was bursting with that. I could couldn't wait to get it out. Um, Tim, let's start with you real quick before we get into the the Super Bowl nonsense and just how fantastic that is news for Arsenal and all our future titles. Um, you did ratio the the Wolves account on on their. Well, I guess what they thought was shade about the proper way to celebrate a victory. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like they lost a the plot there. But I just want to wind back quickly. We've covered the Wolves game, but mm. you were there. And, you know, my sense of it is you win that game 3-0 and you're celebrating, but it's more of a pump, punch the air, fist pump, you know, great, we won. The way we got through it, obviously, I think, led to the sense of relief and the outpouring of celebration at full time. But I'm curious how big the moment felt for you. And maybe also a little bit just as someone who's at these grounds and experiences the rising tension of the moment, if you could feel maybe a, a Michael Oliver howler coming or feel something coming in that moment based on the way the temperature of the, the game and the refereeing was rising. Yeah, sure. So I'll deal with the uh, the raucous celebrations at full time, um, which I only experienced for a few seconds because um, our train was delicately timed to the point <laughs> where we could get a pint in before we got on the train and we wanted to make sure we could do that priorities because uh, yeah we we hadn't done enough of that already um but i think i think i posted a, a picture at full time and, and i think you can just see it in in the boat the picture i posted just lots of people you know big chant of one nil to the arsenal lots of arms in the air etc etc and that that's why i just found like ruben nevers is complaint like just so weird because i i saw it when i got on the train i was like what like you were in the stadium as well like you you know like you weren't just like a you know you're not like a 12 year old on twitter <laughs> like you were there um and yeah and and like look frankly bollocks to them the whole like puritanical you must not celebrate unless i say so stuff like all of those people can just fuck all the way off um, and, and I mean that very sincerely. It's not just something that's slightly annoying that I can ignore. It's like you people are actually try actively trying to make this less fun and you should fuck off, quite frankly. Like if you want to be miserable, that's your business. That's your absolutely your right 
to be as miserable as you like, to celebrate what you like, to celebrate as little as you like. Do not inflict your neuroses on other people. It's very, very bad. You're bad people for doing this. Um, so now that's off my chest. <laughs> the, the, the sense of like a Michael Oliver, um, you know, a decision like that. I was saying to Clive before we started recording, I actually, because I was over the other side of the pitch, so I didn't really realise what had happened until after the game because I just saw a yellow card and a red card, and I was like, oh, I don't remember Martinelli being booked earlier in the game, but he must have <laughs> You <been."> are correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, he, he, he must have just been booked earlier in the game, and I missed it somehow. So, I, And then, like, you know, I could see even from where I was, like, the second foul, and I could see that was probably a yellow card offence. So I thought, okay, that was a pretty dumb foul to make when you're on a yellow card. So I didn't really think much of it. Um, but as for, yeah, as for like, you know, the time, there was a booking for time wasting, wasn't there on a free kick? Was it for Gabrielle? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like you can feel all that stuff. But to be honest, like I see that happen at the Emirates all the fucking time <laughs> and like, and the crowd gets on the referees, but, and we don't get any of this. We don't get like, no one gets sent off. No one gets booked or anything. Like everyone just gets on the refs back and, you know, all of a sudden those referees just have like rhino skin, which, which I guess they should have. And like nothing ever happens. So I, I don't really, yeah, I, I'm not sure I, I really thought, oh God, he's going to, you know, he's he's going to get really wound up by this and the crowd are going to get to him because, yeah, may, maybe it's just my bias, but I, I very rarely see that at the Emirates. I see the Emirates crowd get on referees' backs and it not really make any difference. So um, I, I didn't really see that coming. But um, I guess the, the thing I will say is having had quite a lot to drink before the game that was actually quite good for my nerves because because I didn't feel as nervous as I should have felt to be honest and um and yeah whereas like an evening later I was at Chelsea Arsenal women and obviously I was working at that game so there was no alcohol and that was nil nil and then when the uh which was a decent result for Arsenal when the fourth official put up eight minutes of stoppage time like you know, you're in the press box and you have to have a little bit of neutrality about you. And I was like, God, I wish I'd had like eight pints and I could just shout and swear. <laughs> I'd feel quite a bit better about this. So mm. yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting one to experience live. A, a much better game, I think, to experience live than to, I say to watch on TV, but like if I was a neutral, that wouldn't have been a very enjoyable game. But it's one of those games when you support the team and you've won one nil with with ten men away from home, and the home fans are all being really chippy. And I came out and I, I just heard this Wolves fan going, "Ah, oh, that Gabriel, he's such a cunt." And I just thought, I, and I just started laughing, and I was just like, "Yes, <laughs> this is what, what I want. want. <laughs> this is what I want to hear when I come yeah. out of away grounds. I want the home fans to be whinging about what assholes we are, just like they." Were was used to about Vieira and Petit and stuff like that. I was like, yes, Arsenal are back. People like they know who our players are again and they don't like them. Like excellent. That's that's brilliant. And yeah, that felt really nice actually, genuinely. Yeah. All right. Well, we've covered the Wolves game at length and and so you know you can go back into the archive and dig into that. But I th- I think we're gonna spend a lot of this episode talking top four permutations, but we we can't get there until we talk about the phenomenal success for Arsenal last night in the Super Bowl. Um, I kid, this idea of franchises in sport and that somehow we're, I mean, I think it was the Colorado Avalanche, I, I don't know, one of, one of the KSC teams like congratulating Daddy KSC and the Rams on the victory is like, we're all part of some family. And like, as, as Tim might say, fuck all the way off with that. But like, Clive, um, 
I'm going to try to engage with this in earnest, even though I, I personally think it is silly and I will explain why. Do you find yourself looking at this success as in any way a, a roadmap for or a help for or potentially leading to something positive or having positive ramifications for Arsenal? No, no, not really. I, I just sort of look at the style of ownership and see what, what they're about. But I know the sports are different and and the, the relegation on lack of relegation and the funding models and how you make money. It's, it's all different. But you, there are some similarities about, particularly with the, the Rams and, and also regarding having young coaches involved. And I think... I think if you want to criticise KNC for things which people, many people would want to, they're absenteeism, but maybe lack of oversight historically when it was dual ownership, I think has cost Arsenal if you look, uh, massively. I think we drifted. And now I don't sense that same drift. I sense more engagement. You may not like what you see on occasion, but I feel as though they're a bit more invested, even if they may not be investing if you see what I mean. So mm, yeah. that's that's where I, I see it. I try not to get hung up about these things too much. I don't – I was never super negative. And I'm never super positive. I just see a change in the last couple of years, which I quite like, and that's it. And I can't control if that change becomes negative again, and I can't control if it becomes more positive again. So I tend to just look at it from the sidelines. But – yeah, I can't help but be pleased for an old guy that's getting towards the autumn of his life and he's, and he's achieved his dream after investing £2 billion of his own money to help build that <laughs> stadium. I can't help but feel a little bit, you know what, fair play to you. Hopefully some of that rubs off on some of the other organisations. I think the ice hockey team is, is the best in the NHL at the moment, I believe. I, re- I read that somewhere. Um, the Denver Nuggets are not too bad. You know, Jamal Murray comes back in some sort of shape. He's not. They're not too bad. And so, yeah, good luck. Have fun, lads. Have fun enjoying yourselves at these multiple different sporting events and, and you know, spending your money appropriately. So for us, I'm much more interested in um, how we can get that leaden foot and centre midfielder on the left with, with the left <laughs> foot out of the team and what type of two striker we're going to add and maybe we need two. And which one of these sparkling young youth players are we going to feed into the first team squad immediately or send out alone? Those are sort of things in my mind. And last night's results doesn't change any of that. Yeah, you know what I would say, Clive? I think at a minimum, where I will engage with this in earnest is the fact that like, if you have a business and it is owned by a conglomerate that owns other businesses and those other businesses are bad at what they do, that's not a good sign for the future of your business. And if the people that own your business are good at what they do, that probably indicates that you may have more success <laughs> um, just in the sense that being good at things tends to be a quality you want in people that own your businesses. And like KSE, I think at one point in time kind of looked like a laughing stock just in terms of decision-making and, and oversight and the management of their, their various sports properties and the way that they operated. And like, that's not the case anymore. Does that mean that they've changed mentality about winning? Does that mean that, that they are more focused on it? I, I don't. I genuinely don't know. I know that they wanted to win with the Rams, although that can be related to the you know the fact of the SoFi Stadium that they wanted to fill up and and wanting to put a winning team in there and what that meant for that massive real estate investment, which is really what Kroenke is about and knows. But like, I do think the fact that these individual sporting entities look a little bit better run individually. Yeah 
points towards possibly us being better, Clive. At, at, at yeah. a minimum, points towards them maybe having a better sense of, of how to be good at this. <laughs> yeah, well, I could say I, I think they've, ever since Tim Lewis arrived, really, things have changed. And I think, well, how can I say this? I think maybe there was a bit of wastage of money, shall we say, before. And um, and now there's much better oversight in place. Um, I think, yeah, great. Let's go. Let's hire better people. Let's and let's watch what they do and, and judge them accordingly. If they're good, great. If they're not so good, they have to leave, right? And, and that's how it should be in a, in a top organization. So I sense that a bit more now. There's a little bit more accountability, a little bit more oversight. That's a good thing. And so yeah, I, I'm all for that. I, like I say, I was never massively down on them, and I'm going to just keep my counsel as such because I cannot believe that these guys are as stupid as some people made them out to be. I just felt they were just asleep at the wheel. And, uh, and now they've woken up. And, yeah. and, the club, and the club is waking up. And I, and I felt that. We all, we all feel that, shall we say, that we're in a better place than where we were, particularly due, during the duality ownership that we went through in the um, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that that is an interesting point, too, and one that we can maybe focus on. I think the bigger thing for Arsenal is – KSE owning the entirety of the club as opposed to the shared ownership with Usmanov. But like, Paul, the, the the reason I don't engage with this too earnestly is simply that like the model in the NFL for success and the model for success in European football and Premier League football, they're, they're not remotely analogous. Um, because of salary caps, because of drafts, because of free agency rules and things like that, Yes, you have to spend to build a winner in the NFL, but your spending is at some level really capped. And you're going to make a profit regardless. You know, I mean, not, not on the, the property right away, but, but on the team itself. There is no, I sank half a billion dollars into the squad to try to win at a, at a massive loss to myself and my organization. That just does not exist in the NFL. There is not the ability to solve it purely with money. You know, I think there, that is maybe closer to a Major League Baseball um, model, although that has some limitations as well. But like in the NFL, that's just not the case. So the idea that like, ah, he figured it out. You know, you get this kind of age and you go for these kind of stars and you build this kind of way. The squad building math and calculus and dynamics in the NFL are a, an entirely different species from what it is in the Premier League. So you cannot analogize those things and say that learning how to win in the NFL means that they will now learn how to win. I, if I want, so I think Giant Gunner put this well on Twitter. He said, in terms of the money side of this, he does not believe it will affect it at all. In terms of soft factors, it's a blank canvas, paint what you want. And I, yeah. that's where I agree, right? If you want to say like, maybe this excitement of winning something big in a major city will make them realize, I do like this and I do want to be more focused on this and I want this for Arsenal. Like, if you want to yeah. paint that canvas, it's a blank canvas, go ahead and paint it. If you want to say, they now know the model for winning and they're going to put it into place at Arsenal. There is just no possibility in my mind that what they've learned from winning with the Rams has any ramifications for Arsenal from a, from an economic standpoint. Yeah. Um, look, it doesn't hurt that they won. That's the first thing. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. And, you know, it might help a little bit. Um, and the, like we've had this issue with the Cronkies for a while there's that quote that goes around that I think is misrepresentative of, St uh, of Stan saying, uh, you don't get into the sports business to win. Um, 
he was at a business convention and he's right, right? You're a fool if you get into the sports business to win rather than to maintain and grow your money. I don't think he said do everything you can not to win or winning's bad for business. But obviously the point is don't throw money at winning stupidly. Uh, when you run as a as a capital uh, business, then there can be a healthy relationship between winning and trying to win, and both are important. Like if you have an organization where there's a sense that you're not trying to win in sports, that's that gets really toxic really quickly. See, in a sense, most most of these clubs, franchises, etc., if they don't try and win, they'll go backwards. Now, <clears throat> we just won something. What's, what's that say? Does it say anything huge? We in the broadest sense, right? This, The Cronkies, our owners, won something. Um, you know, I mean, the quotes from Stan were, I thought, pretty revealing. I don't know if you saw it after the, the game. He said, um, I, I had this feeling uh, I'm not sure I've ever had before. It, it's called winning, and I haven't been hard like this in a decade and I want some more of it. So I think that augurs well, right? Um, he's he's at a stage in life. The other thing I think is that there's a difference between Stan and Josh, right? And he's given Josh the reins a little more, especially when it comes to Arsenal. I suspect Stan has realized he doesn't really understand soccer, football, Arsenal. Um, he called it the Wild West at one stage, and he probably doesn't have the time and energy from his ranch running the LA thing. So, Josh, I would be very surprised if that isn't basically his project. Josh goes to concerts. Josh is looking like a wild man on the circuit. Josh has a pulse, right? Now, they're still running a business, but I don't think they're at all against winning. And apparently, um, they're not so bad that they block themselves winning. I, I think the other side of it is that fans have had this attitude that the Cronkies are crap, terrible, couldn't win if their lives depend, uh, depended on it or whatever. And that helps the narrative and therefore a bit of the relationship with supporters of the club and will get them past the these guys could never, would never, will never win anything. And maybe just softens or it improves a little bit of the relationship of fans and owners. doesn't change anything dramatically, but anything that helps a little bit is good. Yeah. I mean, anything that helps a little bit is good. And like, I guess I'd put it this way, right? Like, I guess on the one hand, you'd be like, I do begrudge them winning because I hate that guy and I hate KSE and I don't want him to win. And like, I wouldn't tell you not to feel that way. I would only say, I don't know that it hurts us. I don't know that it helps us. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't have a strong take either way. I think that like, when you look at your ownership group, the one thing you want to believe in is competence. And competence in the NFL doesn't mean competence in the Premier League. But at a minimum, you can say, well, they're not complete buffoons, and that's got to be a good thing. And Tim, like, I think the only reason that like I, I can't make the intellectual leap to say this is going to help us is there is really there are really two things that can help you win a Premier League and win a European title. One of them, obviously, is like good, smart people running the organization at the director of football level, at the managerial level, at the, you know, at all the sort of executive and behind the scenes levels, fine. But like, even with that, it's really money. If you look yeah. at who wins Premier Leagues, the wage bill determines, what, 95% of the titles? Mm -hmm. um, 
He got a Liverpool title, he got a Leicester title, and the rest is Chelsea and City since United last won. What's the through line there? Wages. You look at the Champions League winners, it's not always the highest wage bill, but by and large, those are the teams that are there thereabouts. And like, I don't know that winning a Super Bowl means that Stan's suddenly going to say, let's go pump a billion dollars of wages in Arsenal. So I, I, but on the flip side, though, I will, I will acknowledge that during the pandemic in particular, there's been a willingness to spend and a willingness to spend in a way that that very much outstrips any kind of profit because there's been huge losses. And whether those are funded by debt and how that ought to be repaid, a little too in the weeds for now, and I don't want to get there. But so do you have any strong or even medium milk toast takes on <laughs> the, the, the Rams winning the Super Bowl meaning anything for Arsenal? Yeah, so I, I know very little about NFL. Um, but my impression is that like people like teams don't create dynasties with Super Bowls, right? Like teams don't win it year after year <clears throat> or dominate. The, the Patriots in- would be the closest thing, and it's just like Oh, we have Tom Brady, and so, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah, yeah, win. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, it, it's obviously not comparable for all the reasons you guys have just said. I think there are um, there are a couple of things really going on here. First off, like what you're talking about there with kind of um, like it's a harsh reality about spend because we've got Manchester City and Chelsea and Manchester United in our division. And it, it does make you think, like, like fucking hell, where, like, how are we ever going to win the league? And what we're what we're looking to do is like, um, it is handcuff lightning. Um, to to quote Muhammad Ali, it it's like, um, you know, the the season we went closest, two thousand fifteen sixteen, the Leicester season, and that was when all of the big, like, our big rivals were out of whack, like. I think City was that their first year under Guardiola and they were still working that out and like United were rubbish and Chelsea were were having their meltdown season where they finished te- like there was a big confluence of factors that had to work in our favor for us to even come close to it um but then like the biggest like unexpected factor of them all trumped it all with Leicester coming in but like essentially what we're looking at is like you know, maybe in the year or two after Guardiola and Klopp go, maybe we can have a crack at it then when those teams, when those clubs are in a bit of transition. Um, so there, <laughs> there's that to it. And like, realistically, even if you ask the Cronkies to keep pumping money in, like they still can't compete with the amount that a lot of our competitors can. So, you know, there there is there is an element to which we we have to do things a bit smarter, I guess, a little bit like FSG. But I th- I think the thing, my kind of takeaway, I was I was reading uh, Pete from La Grove was was at the game, was at the Super Bowl, and uh, he was talking about the stadium, um, you know, which and I know that's very contentious, like for you know, um, shall we say the residents of St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. um, and and not even just for them either. Like the, the sense I get is that like everyone found this, um, you know, unconscionable really. Um, but, you know, like the quality of the stadium, um, for example, which obviously like Stan did put a big old wedge into. And look, you know, like that he's much more invested both literally and emotionally in the Rams than he is in Arsenal and probably in like his other sports teams as well. Like that, I get the sense is really his baby. Like he didn't even go to the Europa league final, right? When we got there. So that gives you a sense of priority, but I'm looking at our stadium at the moment and like, to be fair, they've done up the dressing rooms. They've done up the tunnel. I I know um, they're, I heard you sniggering there. Uh, <laughs> I I know they're um they're, they're happy Valentine's Day. Um, I, 
I know they're um, almost ad break time. So close. (laughs) And I know like the club are very aware of the fact that the outside of the stadium and the inside actually, like for the fans need some love. They've done some stuff to club level. They've done stuff for the players. Like it needs a lick of paint that that screen on the outside needs changing. And I know there are plans afoot about that, but like, that's kind of what I'm looking at and going, okay, like this is where, you know, even like on players and stuff, like just to stay vaguely competitive, you have to spend shit loads of money on players. That's just the way it is. Like you will get relegated if you don't do that to like a decent level because everyone's loaded in the premier league. But I'm looking at the Emirates stadium at the moment and I'm looking at my seat, which looks, you know, it's it's going a bit orange um it's a little bit weathered um and they like i used to have like an old trafford banner uh near where I, old trafford o2 banner where i sat and like that's come down because it's like so dog-eared and filthy and like i'm looking at stuff like that and i'm like okay let's see what they come up with here because i think like genuinely i think that will tell us a lot you know, about how they regard the club. Like, are they just going to give it a lick of paint and say that will do? Or is there going to be like some, to, like to the extent that they can without like closing parts of the stadium and stuff, is there going to be like an upgrade in facilities here? I, I think, like, honestly, I think that will tell us a lot because, you know, they've done that to a massive degree with one of their teams. So, um, yeah, I, I think we need some of that love at the moment. The scary thing about that, though, is that, like, I don't think Stan is in the renovate a stadium business. I think Stan is in the real estate development business and thereby, like, changing the value of his holdings and things like that. And so the scary thing becomes, like, okay, what if his idea about how you do this isn't let's renovate the stadium? What if his idea is, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy up a huge plot of land in Windsor and Arsenal's going to play in Windsor now. So yeah, I've literally picked like a place at random, by the way, that was on my mind for unrelated reasons, but you get my sense, my point Tim. like, like Stan likes moving his teams and Stan likes developing real estate. And the idea of Stan being like, Oh, here's an area of undeveloped land where I can like help gentrify this community and there can be shops and there can be hospitality and there can be, um, entertainment complexes and, you know, and I can build a, a modern new stadium and it's going to enhance the value of the, the club because when you buy it, you get that entire economic activity around it. Like, I, I don't know that just renovating a stadium to make it nicer for the fans and, and more appealing is is necessarily his his vision for how you no, do this. I'm hoping know? it's Josh's. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, because, because the thing is, it needs doing and it's about to be done. It's not just like being done out of the goodness of their hearts. Like the stadium's 16 years old and it looks it. It just needs a little something. And like, so I'm looking at the extent of that. Is it just a lick of paint or is yeah. there like, because that's the kind of investment as well where, you know, the the return's kind of invisible because the stadium sells out every week. So they don't necessarily have to do it if they don't want to, but like that, that will, I, I just think it will be like a little insight into how like involved and invested they feel. Fair enough. Yeah. I think it's the one, the pride one, at this yeah, point. Yeah. Sometimes we learn the wrong lessons from things. Right. And like, maybe the lesson we're like, Oh, the lesson here is KSE learned about winning and now they're going to be excited to win. And maybe the lesson is like, KSE learned about moving a club and real estate development and building a new complex somewhere else where the club can build a new tradition of winning there. Like maybe that's the lesson and that's a little bit of a scarier lesson, obviously. But, like but there's no way, absolutely zero no. chance. That's what the crunch, like I'm, I'm saving just, that clip of audio 
for when it <laughs> and at the time Paul said yeah, there's yeah. absolutely no do. way. <laughs> like the one thing we got from the ESL debacle was they realized what happens when you hit the the third rail of British football. You don't fuck with the tradition. I just want to point something out, right? They are literally they owe seven hundred I think seven hundred million pounds in a settlement. Uh, uh, sorry, dollars for a lawsuit related to this stadium move. They went over budget by two billion dollars building this ground. Like but, the so idea where that the St. Louis fans, Rams from. Well, I mean, I, I guess they're the, from LA. Well, I mean, not if you go back far enough. None of these but teams are it, from anywhere. It's all like, culture, right? You can do that in America. It upset people a lot, but you can do it. You want to cost them seven hundred million. The thing is, they wouldn't do it. It's all kind of moot. They wouldn't do it anyway because if you wanted to move a stadium anywhere in the country, you'd move it to Islington. Like yeah. I'm sure that's a massive part of the reason they bought the club in the first place. Like wow, we got a big nice stadium here in one of the most affluent areas of the yeah, country. Like great. They would. There's no way that. They Where are you going to get away charging those ticket prices anywhere yeah. else? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's for point, Clive. And you can't use Manchester move Manchester United to Newcastle. It just uh, can't be done. I guess I would say like, I think that is a spectacularly naive view in terms Thank of you. what they think they can get away with. But in terms of whether it can realistically be done, I, I maybe do agree with you. And I think Tim's point, like they it's may never not been done. do it. Like it's never been done ever. Right. Right. I know. It, the, the, in it, like apart you, from by you, Arsenal. You, well, yeah, right. it's in London. <laughs> yeah, right? There you go. Touche. <laughs> it's, it's in London. And like, the, like, you know, the history, Tim, but there was a time you could move clubs around London. Uh, can you, like, Tim, can you see any scenario they move away from the Islington area? No. Or, uh, it's just not doable. No. I don't I, think it makes I, business sense is, is the go, better reason. You know? <laughs> but go to other countries. I mean, you're not moving Inter Milan to Rome. You're just not. It's never, ever going to happen. No, what those clubs have actually started to do instead, and, and this is another uh, way where Arsenal actually already have like a natural advantage because we moved where we're from is they, you know, a lot of them market themselves, but without like the geographical name. Yeah. So um, they'll say like United, Juve, um, Barca, like they'll almost like for the sake of global branding, remove that sense of geography so that it yeah. sounds a bit yeah. more global. Arsenal already has that baked <laughs> into its name because just, well, over a hundred years ago, a property, like a real estate developer decided quite wisely that Plumstead was not a place for a top football club and decided to move them to Islington where it's like 10 minutes on the tube from Leicester Square and Hackney and Hoxton and all of that. Like the, the, the re, like Highbury was a great business decision by Henry Norris, who was literally a real estate developer. Like that's why it happened for Arsenal. Like all, Probably all the reasons that Stan moved the Rams um, are, are exactly the reasons that Henry Norris moved Arsenal to where they are in the first place. Like, That's a good point. They're already in the good location. Yeah. yeah, we've been put there by a property developer, literally. Clive, do you have a... a oh, no, you've you you arrived at the right place. <laughs> Tim has sorted you out. And uh, as he's wrote a book on this, literally, uh, I think the history of Arsenal and where we started and where we're moving to is... Um, is that you're in the right hands, right? So I don't see this as an issue at all. I think it's a great point Tim made about the ground and its and its current state. And I'm I'm a fan of the Emirates. It just needs sharpening up. And what I where there's been massive changes in technology 
since the ground was built and how you use the, the screens are also not the best, you know, for example, the outside. There, there's room for improvement, shall we say, technology-wise, that make a huge difference, as well as the the seating, etc. There's some real good fixes that can really transform that place. The general structure and shape is, is, is wonderful to my eye, but there are things you can do within that structure that can really lift the level of the ground. And I agree really massively. Yep. But by how much they invest in that will tell us how much they care about Arsenal in the short and medium to long term. And I think they will. I, I genuinely think they'll do something properly, but that's just a hope and a, and a wish, really. Yeah, it's really hard for me because every fiber of my being thinks they're only going to do what makes good business sense. Now, what makes good business sense may be doing the things that maintains the asset value. And that means building a winner, staying relevant on the global scene, having a stadium that's still regarded as, you know, a, an elite sporting venue. So so those things may make good business sense, which is for the best for us. And what I will say, um, I just, I, I think, you know, Spurs are a great example. You can build a, a beautiful toilet bowl, but filling it, I mean, they can fill it with shit, obviously, but filling it with people is a little harder. I think they had 10,000 empty seats. We're, we're a few months away from pandemic when no one could go to football. They're in a top four chase. They've got a world-class manager, and they still have Harry Kane, one of their own, and they can't fill their stadium. And, you know, at some point, this still has to be about putting on the kind of football and being the kind of organization and having the kind of ambition that makes 60,000-plus people want to turn out once or twice a week to go support it. Um, I think it is time to, to pivot to laughing at Spurs and United and looking at the top four um, because that is, of course really the, the priority, but I just do want to wish everybody celebrating Valentine's Day today. If you celebrate, I want to wish you a happy Valentine's Day uh, to you and, and your partner or to a, a future partner you might find, maybe even today. Love is always around the corner. I want to wish my, my wife a very happy Valentine's Day. I love her very much. Um, and, and to you and yours. And I think there's never a better day than Valentine's Day to remind you that the best gift you can give a loved one is the gift of properly shaved privates. All right, maybe it's not the best. But I think it is a thoughtful gift. It is thoughtful to be prepared in case love finds you, and it's thoughtful to be prepared in case love is in the air in your relationship. And so uh, today we celebrate Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. It includes the Lawnmower 4.0, which for me is the single greatest grooming tool I've ever used. Look, I'm going to make this really easy. Probably 95% of you listening do some kind of bodily grooming. And if you're not using the lawnmower, you're probably using an inferior tool. It may be an old razor that's just in the shower and you've gotten used to it there. It may be some trimmer you got cheap off the internet that like has cut you or nicked you or not done what you wanted or the battery's dead when you need it or it doesn't work in the shower. I just don't get why. It's one purchase. You get 20% off free shipping with what I'm about to tell you. So you get it wet, dry, long battery life, induction charging, so you can just set it in the cradle. You don't have to plug things in. It's got a really bright light so you can see what you're doing. It's got all the sizing guards so you can do the, all the different areas of your body. It's got ceramic blades with skin-safe technology so you can feel really confident using it to avoid nicks and snags and tugs and all that stuff. I mean, you may not want to avoid tugs, but you want to avoid tugs from your trimmer. You get the idea. Anyway, um, point is, you get 20% off in free shipping when you use the promo code ArsenalVision. You go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, you get 20% off in free shipping. I get it. This is a silly thing to talk about every episode, but it is also a thing we all do. And when you get the performance package, you get things like deodorant and toner and uh, bo boxer briefs. I have the boxer briefs. I like them. A travel bag to hold it all. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. You'll get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Manscaped.com. Promo code ArsenalVision. 20% off free shipping. Now, 
The one other thing I will say, we've been talking about business today. We've been talking about KSE. How did KSE get a Super Bowl? They hired Sean McVay, right? They hired better general managers. They went out and they signed the best talent. And the people that know more than anyone about signing the best talent are the people at Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. You don't have to go to multiple sites. It's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else, this is my favorite part, you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Not just some of them, all of them. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates that match your job description, you invite them to apply right away, and you only pay for the applications that meet your must-have requirements. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. He's so good at that now. I, I should mention, by the way, Blue Wire, uh, they, they, they've got some big podcasts on their network, and one of their podcasts is focused on basketball, actually, had Josh Kroenke on. So I have reached out to them, and I said, hey, hook me up. Hook me up. Let's get Josh Kroenke on the Arsenal Vision yeah. podcast. It's road he can tripping. talk to us. It's cool, wasn't it? Road tripping. Road tripping. That's exactly right. Chan Tatum. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if, if we can get Josh on, I think that would be great. Clive, enough of the silliness. Let's laugh at Spurs. Let's laugh at United. I, You know, I think... The big thing that has caused us cognitive dissonance this season, Clive, is we look at us and we know we're a work in progress. We know we are not fixed yet. We probably don't score enough. We maybe don't create enough. We don't always play beautiful football. But I think the thing that's been lost in all this is outside of really Liverpool and and City, Chelsea may be on the edge of that. No one's good. No one's very good. Spurs are not good. West Ham not good. Leicester's not good. United aren't good. We don't have to be great right now to achieve... Champions League, which would be an immense achievement for this club right now and massively impact our our near-term future and having to sign a striker in the summer and things like that. We just have to be better than teams that are bad, and we positioned ourselves to do that in part because they are bad. So uh, let's let's start with Spurs. Conte doesn't look like he wants to be there. The team looks like it's sort of falling apart. I mean, I still feel like Kane and Son can be an X-factor that can get them above other teams just on their, their quality alone, but like... If this is the team that has the best statistical chance to chase us down for top four, right now they sure don't look like they are ready to threaten for that position. Yeah, I think what Spurs and Man United are showing us is that there's more to this game than just on the pitch. I think at Manchester United, for example, they are struggling massively for a a presence, a figurehead that that we potentially well, are. Oh, they've right. got a head. If they need a head, they definitely have a head. It's on, it's on McGuire's yeah. shoulder. So they're, they're, I think they've got a new director of football or technical director assistant today. I mean, they're still building their structure behind the club because it's just been so bad for a long time. And, and fans look at this stuff now. They look at how you operate. Look at how you work. You look at Spurs. They tried the superstar manager, 15 million a year. There you go. Can you just be that guy for us? It doesn't matter if organisation you're disconnected or you're not got the same motivations. Daniel Levy's got his motivation, which is to plump up the organisation so he can sell it, no doubt. And Mourinho and Conte, they've got their own things they want to do, which is probably make some money, get a payoff, and uh, and try to win and test the, the structure of the club, which isn't there, and it's very dependent on a few players. I, I really feel 
there's a, there's a podcast out there, and I don't think people can catch it today. Gary Neville does a podcast every single week, and there's a section on Manchester United, and I urge everyone to listen to it because it's he's massively honest about them. Obviously, he's a fan and he's a player, and I feel as though when he talks, he's talking from knowledge and information, and he's talking about the links within the club. He's talking about the organisation, and he, but what but what he's really saying. If you just listen to this and just put the word Arsenal in there, this is where we were two, three years ago. And I found myself listening to it smiling because we're no longer there. We do have a squad that's now built building with the right motivations. We do have a structure whether you like the people in it or not. It's clear. It's clearer. The manager seems to have some level of autonomy and control and can upward manage. And he's trying to run his team based on his identity and his way of the of the road. People don't always like it, but he's doing it. Right? And he's developing a persona for himself. I look at these clubs, I look at content, you've already nailed it. Is he half in the door and half out the door? Ralph Rangnick, is he a manager or is he a technical director? They're waiting for a manager. They're in disarray. They're a superstar club with lots of revenue and lots of really shiny players and shiny big stadium for Spurs. Games. And by the way, Manchester United, you think Arsenal Stadium's got a bit of disrepair? You want to go to Old Trafford and have a look what's going on there. Right? So there's so much bad operating in those two clubs in different ways that manifests itself on the football pitch. And I think if you flip it to Arsenal, we're on the way up. We don't talk about this stuff anymore. We're not talking about the the absolute shocking organisation we were two, three years ago, which I very much on this podcast, we, we spoke about it a lot, right? So this is being changed now and it is painful. And sometimes we don't agree the way those changes happen, mm. the management style. But I urge you to just hang in there because this is the right way to go. And, when, and if you're not sure... Look at Man United, look at Spurs, and look at how they, they run. And then flip your mind slightly to Liverpool, look what they did with their new striker signing and how he fits that team like a glove, the way they can do that because they run properly in the background. They run properly. They identify people for their club. They, they've reshaped their backroom stuff. They've done all the things that we're now doing and doing successfully and aggressively. And So, yeah, if you, when you get unsure about whether you're doing the right thing, Listen to that Gary Neville podcast. Look at some of the Spurs stuff from the Athletic and, and hang in there. We're doing the right thing, I trust me. I hope it goes well for us because if it does, of the clubs going for the top four, I tell you, if it goes right for us, we can do something with it. If it goes right for them, it papers, it papers over the cracks. It yeah. really does. And I think, I really hope it works out for us. Obviously, we're biased, but I really hope it does. Yeah, I mean, I I do too, Clive. <laughs> um, and look, I, I think you're right. And I think the interesting thing is why top four could be such a boon for us is it's a chance to put some daylight between us, to really send things back to what they were, you know, from the early 2000s between us and Spurs at a minimum. Because if you look at it, I think their cycle of quote-unquote success where they won nothing, we should reiterate, is ending in the sense that I still don't think Conte is the long-term solution. I think Kane might, again, be pushing to leave in the summer. Son, who knows? Who knows if he'll stay? You know, there may be people that want to take him, but the striker position is the hardest one to solve, and Spurs will never be able to buy a striker as good as the one they've just had all this time. 
And so they will be losing goals, losing assists, losing quality that they cannot replace. They don't have the kind of young, up-and-coming talent that we have. So they will have to try to start again without the shortcut of having the best striker in the league and one of the best strikers in the world just sort of at their club. United, they don't have a coach. They got a guy that's going to be stepping aside at the end of the season. Ronaldo wasn't the solution. You know, they've, they've got some guys in legal trouble, you know, that, that might, they might have thought of as being a bright part of their future that now I would, I would say that certainly should be in jeopardy. Um, you know, some of, some of their other young players have not worked out and moved on. Like, they are, they are in a potential changing cycle as well. Now, they have enough money that maybe they can just buy their way out of it, but that has not worked for them for years. And so if we get into the Champions League and we have more money and we have more prestige and we can attract the talent we need to fill in around the bright young talent, maybe we can put some distance between them. Tim... I do want to discuss this um, intelligently, ideally, but I also think we should at least take a moment to laugh at, at Harry Maguire as well. Like <laughs> every next game with Harry Maguire is another highlight that is astonishing. I don't know that it was a penalty uh, in that game against Southampton mm-hmm. late, but like the way he got turned, the way he couldn't recover, he blunderbusses into the guy. Like he, he is a hilarious, must-watch bit of blockbuster entertainment right now. I find him to be a treasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes it, it makes a change for it to not be an Arsenal centre half. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Doing that, um, and and actually, famous last words. Maybe I'm not really sure we have any centre halves like that anymore. Like I, I'm reasonably happy with with uh, with Ben White and Gabriel and and like Rob Holding. Like you know, we maybe... had the Pablo Marie against Lukaku experience at the very beginning of the yeah, season. But that's yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I think the thing that interests me about United, and I've been doing some reading about this um, over the weekend because I'm really trying to get a sense of what you know people who watch every second of every United game think. And there, there just seems to be this kind of tension because if you look at the way they're throwing away leads at the moment, like they keep going one nil up, playing well in the first half, and then fading, which is exactly the opposite of what they were doing under Solskjaer last year. But that's they, they're trying to play the exact opposite football <laughs> to what they were last year. Like last year, they were very reactive. They liked games to be basketball games because they they backed their attacking talent to get them through those games. Whereas under Ranić, they're trying to play with more control. And one of the things I was reading was like it's not well, like Ralph Hasenhutl said, right? He used this phrase something like it's not a secret that um that their reverse gears aren't all there or something like that. Yeah. And like of course Hasenhutl comes from the same kind of school finishing school as Ranić. Really, he comes from that Red Bull kind of college i'd call it plays that 4-2-2 like he knows exactly what ranyuk's trying to do at united and was probably the best place to exploit it but the way i read that quote was this is just a case of united's team getting used to the increased physical demands of ranyuk's football and that's why they keep coughing up games in the second half um, and obviously they they you know to play that kind of pressing football you can't have ronaldo or cavani up front and what they've been trying to do is play Sancho as more of a second striker um, just because I think they'd prefer to have him in the press so off the ball they go into a Mm. 4-4-2 and Sancho comes off that right wing Um, so like they're, they're they're trying to do slightly different stuff and in one respect you could say this is just an adjustment period and they're just getting used to things but then there's this other kind of um, school of thought a that, that that this united team seemed like a really whiny lot 
like every other week there seems to be a story about how oh, we don't like training training is not exactly as we like like i really i don't know what they want to do in training like i don't know like may, may, maybe that lasso thing to, uh, yeah 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 it's, uh, it's uh, just gary like, neville was saying that uh one of the that they've all the players, well, not all the players, a number of the players are leaking to the media and the press. And I think it was last he was Friday. Saying, I know who it is. Yeah. Yeah. As they've been making out that Rangnick's assistant is basically a Ted Lasso character. Yeah. Which, yeah. which seems like a small thing, but you're then starting to paint the whole management setup as like this somewhat laughable ridiculous thing that nobody's yeah. buying into uh, like i think this is really re deliciously toxic and going yeah through. yeah uh, and to your point tim do you think there's anything like one of the things that's always stuck out to me was this alanga guy right yeah, yeah this kid coming through who i mean he's fine he's he's played okay but rangnick seems to be very attached to him and it seems to be like almost his stalking horse from wh for where he wants to go these young guys who give it all and it just doesn't fit. Like Ronaldo's still on the. It's like there's yeah. no way you're going to fix this in six months by trying to get a couple of Alangas into your team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and like the other thing I was reading, I mean, because the the other school of thought, the one school of thought is well, they're just adjusting to a more high intensity style of football. The other school of thought was. Well, actually, this is a team of superstars that's been built to be superstars, and they don't want to do that. And what was happening, like when they, you know, cough up goals again? Like he he said something about they lost their composure in all of these games. And what's happening is basically when team when they're knackered and teams equalise, Paul Pogba goes deeper and deeper because he wants the ball, wants the ball. Like give me the ball, and he ends up at centre back. And Bruno Fernandes does the opposite. And goes right. I'm going up front because I want to rescue the day. And and Ronaldo, we all know what Ronaldo's like. And they start trying to find individual solutions. Whereas Ranić is very like, no, no, stay in your structure and you'll find the solution. And and so there's another school of thought that that they are just a team of individuals. And actually, I think this latest leak is. <laughs> backfired on them big time because i think everyone's reaction is not oh this ranyuk guy must be a joker i think the reaction now is you keep fucking complaining about everything like and actually uh, like the read i'm getting from united fans is we've had enough of you leaking and whinging about training all the time and like you've had different managers like just shut up and get on with it it's like a, a big sense i'm getting from united fans which i'm really enjoying and i i think to fix it and i hope they never do they are going to have to rip pieces out of this like ronaldo obviously can't stay there i can't, i don't see how that works but like where's he going to go pogba probably has to go I, you know I, I they definitely have a harry maguire problem like it, it is incredibly fun to watch him he just he is a mess um you know i don't know if they have any pieces there that they really can build around and you know obviously legal issues have made that more complicated so and, and Paul, Elliot, yeah. could i add on to yeah, your please. thought that, uh, you know, the scary thing is they could spend money to get their way, way out of it. And as you, you pointed out, it hasn't worked so far. But I also think it's the wrong answer, right? Because they need a reset. And, and They need a project, kind of like we have. Yeah. Ah, instead of just, yeah. Yeah. I've been trying yeah. to come up with you to say <laughs> the same thing. Go ahead. But, but the problem is because they're like this publicly traded company with all this yeah. money, they, they don't feel like they have the patience for a project. United's not supposed to need and a project. And all the branding. So need, like when they're bad, yeah. they need superstars because then they still get their Chevrolet deal and their this and their that. And, you know, 
They had to get Ronaldo. What did they need Ronaldo? Did they want Ronaldo? He just couldn't go to City, and they needed it for to to inflate their brand, but also to stop it getting diminished by Ronaldo being at City now, the the new Manchester, and like they're just they got so many competing forces that stopped them looking at the long term, and we had the luxury of not having any of those problems, not well, having enough so money, not having enough brand that like it turned maybe has turned us on us. My, my fear is that what we're doing will work and other people will start copying it really quickly. Not United, but other teams will say, Here's why let's I think go that's- big. That's not a worry is, is two things. First of all, one of the things that's let's let's not lie about this. One of the reasons this process is we think working is that we have been very fortunate to be in a cycle where the academy has produced some unique talent. We've also found a guy in Martinelli who we have high hopes for who you can't you you can't plan for finding 17 and 18 year olds who become stars. That's not a plan, right? And then also the bigger the club and the bigger the commercial deals and the bigger this, that, and the other thing, the less patience there is for these kinds of projects. So I think they are trapped in a stasis of their own making in a sense, um, which I can absolutely be here for. But Clive, I want to start to turn this a little more Arsenal oriented, but I I think that the point we can sort of make the line we can draw under these clubs is that like, it's not that they can't catch us this individual season, but I, I do look at them and you know, the 538 right now, and not that they've ever been massively publicly wrong about any of their projections, but like, They have Spurs and United finishing level on 60 points and us on 66. This isn't 61, 62, 63 right now. I mean, this is starting to be a bit of a gap. And I was looking at the numbers, Clive, and like, we could lose five or six games in the run-in and come fourth. Like, if we went eight, three, and five, eight wins, three draws, five losses, right? That would be 27 points. We'd finish on 66 and I cannot see United and Spurs getting there. I can't. I can't see it. They'd have to go on a run that does not look remotely within the range of outcomes for who they are. And oh, by the way, United have a run coming up where they have City, Liverpool, and Spurs wedged between Atletico Madrid twice. You know, Spurs still have a, a cup to worry about with very difficult games on, on their fixture list as well. And so, like, you start to think Arsenal could lose five times and finish top four. And, like, Suddenly, I'm going to position this to you, Clive, in a way you're going to hate, which is my job here. I sort of think now we only have to be pretty good to get there. I would would be very, very, very disappointed with a fifth-place finish now. I think it would mean that a team that is not good got past us, and the only way I see that happening is if we lose like six or seven times in the run-in. So is it fair to position this now as not just something we can do, but something we should do? I'm trying to hold on to the should, the, the should thing. I, I don't think we're there yet. Um, the last home game I went to, we we spent 90 minutes knocking at the door and couldn't score a goal. True. Right? Things changed. No really Shaka, no party, no t- tummy ass. Yeah, there some, some there were some things there, and we were tired, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That's what happens. That is what happens in football, right? Who'd have thought Newcastle win three games on the bounce? You know, it, it can change really quickly. Well, they've lost uh, Trippier now, so that's done. <laughs> yeah, well, and that can change. Things can change really, really quickly. Um, Wolves, a low-scoring team, pop off to Spurs, score two goals in 10 minutes. See you later, Spurs. Good. It, it can just happen. And I don't want to go sound like a manager, but it is one game at a time mode. We've got two home games coming up, and if we win them both, the excitement levels are going to be massive um, because people are going to see us in the table with the right level of games behind us. Look at the reorganized fixtures. 
and suddenly we're going to feel we should win. And when you have to manage that expectation and a young squad manage that expectation, that's going to be a challenge again. So I, people looking at Spurs and saying, oh, well, we, we should come ahead. If they come ahead of us, it's a failure. I had the same conversation with Tom this morning. It's a failure um, because we're better than them. We haven't been better than them for five years. Right? They're the ones with the expensive managers and the, and the billion-pound stadium and England's captain and centre-forward. The fact that we look at them and we think, you know what, we are better than you, but we need to do it. We need to show it. And the only way you do that is on the pitch, and it's not what we think. And I, I've i always felt, as you know, Elliot, I said this last year, I didn't want us in Europe. I thought it was a distraction. The Thursday-Sunday thing was killing us. It, it made squad management and selection too challenging. Every podcast we sat on, you killed a manager, quite rightly, for some of those selection changes. I thought by not being in Europe, that reduces the decisions he has to make. Yep. It gives us clarity, gives us time, gives us a chance to build something. And the schedule could be our friend. We can make the jump just like Klopp did when he, from fifth, sixth, up to fourth, when he was outside of Europe. And that's always been in my mind. And I think it's a critical time in our history, even though. Most of the predictions would have said sixth at the start of the season or fifth. I think we all said that amongst ourselves. I had this hunch for fourth because of the special circumstances of us not being Europe for the first time in 25 years. And it's hopefully panning out this way, but it feels tenuous because of the lack of depth in certain positions on the squad. And we need some fortune. And I feel we need somebody to get hot who's not hot now in the striking areas and my eyes are looking around a couple of players in those areas that are not one may have to move position and one's not in the starting 11 at the moment and I think we're going to need all of those forward players to to impact the team in some way and that's where my thoughts are currently and if that happens and we get those extra goals that we need I, I think we've got a fantastic chance of, of making reaching the promised land of fourth place again. Yeah. I, I mean, look, my opinion is that for Spurs to get top four now, they probably need 30 points in 16 games. It's almost a 72-point pace. I think that's what they would have to do the rest of the season to get there. And like, they finished on 62 points last season, and they finished on 59 points the season before that, and they finished on 71 the season before that, and they finished on 77 the season before that. So, like, that's that's the decline they've been on. Can they get to a 71-point pace and then, you know, see what happens? The only way I see that happening is if, like, Kane basically scores 16, 17 goals in their remaining 16, 17 games. That, that's how Spurs get there, in my view. United, I mean, they need a, an even stronger pace to get there, and they look arguably more broken. So... I think my point, Tim, is not so much that like Arsenal are all conquering top four, you know, Champions League club now. It's it's more that I look at who we have to finish ahead of and I look at the position we are in versus them. We are now, by the way, according to 530 at 54% to get there. And again, those that's a, just a model and it it could change in two games dramatically. But you know, you're talking about teams, United who just failed to beat Burnley. Just failed to beat Southampton. Um, you know, you're talking about team in, in Spurs who just lost to Southampton and lost to Wolves. Like, these are not great teams chasing us. And in order for us to not do this now, I think we, 
would have to play at a pace, call it like a 58-point pace or a 57-point pace, then I think we'd be catchable, and they'd still have to be pretty good to get there. And I do think it's fair to say that if Arsenal goes 16 games with one game a week, no other competition, and play at a 57-ish point pace, that that would pro- I would probably, I mean, all of us would probably be sitting here in May going, gosh, we really did not play well during the run-in. So, I, no, there is no way in the summer I would have said, I expect Arsenal get Champions League. But with 16 games ahead of us, two very, very flawed, and you could say three, I guess, flawed teams chasing us, and needing a very, very manageable pace to get there. Let's call it a 59-point pace or something. I think we should go and do it. I mean, is that fair? Is it fair to say that? I think that's fair to say that, yeah, because what what you're not, and I'm focusing on what you are saying here earlier, not, you're, you're saying you would be disappointed if we didn't do it, not that you necessarily think, oh, it's done, it's in the bag kind of thing. I, I think we'd have to play poorly enough mm. and, and pick up points at a low enough le- pace to be caught that yeah, I yeah. think we would look back on it and say, "Wow, we we did poorly." It's, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and obviously it can have like I, I, without looking it up, I suspect we're in a very similar possession position in uh, Emery's first season um, when we somehow contrived to mess it up. But that's what you're saying, right? We played poorly and we lost out by a point, um, and and that was disappointing, and we shouldn't have done that. So I, I think that's fair to say. I I think ultimately. I do think there are going to be some real like ups and downs and nips and tucks. Like what we're talking about with United and Tottenham, that was us a couple of weeks ago. Now, in fairness, a lot of that was like cup games, but it was us that that looked ragged um, and everything else. So, I, I think really this a lot of this will come down on the head to heads between the teams. So we've got to go to Spurs. United have got to come to us. And I do think those results will have a pretty big bearing. Yeah. And um, let me tell tell you something that will um, probably raise your anxiety levels. The, that Spurs game, there is no reason that that for that to not be rearranged by now, basically, because neither of us are in Europe. There's plenty of slots for that. The reason it hasn't been rearranged is because Sky want it in May, right? They want Spurs, Arsenal you know, first week of May, maybe like penultimate game of the season, they want their North London Derby shootout for fourth. That's what they want. Um, and, and that might, that might, ha- that might be a thing that happens. Um, you know, like all this stuff about the integrity of the league with COVID postponements, but like as if the league has ever had any integrity since the TV companies walked in, but that's, I'll park that. <laughs> yeah. So like, the, you know, the, there are some big games. United, in March, I believe we've got Liverpool, Man City and Spurs. Um, but what you might find with United, there's no evidence for this at the moment, but what you might find with United, th- this was supposed to be United's nice gentle run into that period. They've also got Atleti in the Champions League. Did you see League. the Rio Ferdinand video? Yeah. This guy's yeah, 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 win, yeah. win, win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what you might find, you might find that Ranić's style actually really works in big games. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it might it might turn out like that. We don't know. Um, which you know, they come to us in April, which might be bad news for us as well. But so, so I do still think there are some permutations. I don't think Spurs will be this bad for this long. Whether they're good is another question. They, I don't think they'll be like this bad um, all the way through. And I think we'll have our our ricks and and things like that. But. Um, I, I agree. I think we're in a, in, in a really strong position and there may be some recency bias, but I have seen, you know, from people on my Twitter timeline that don't support any of the clubs saying that they regard Arsenal as like marginal favourites. 
for it at the moment. And like you say, there are some factors in our favour with with not being in the cups. Like it, it's a really, really good chance. It's a really strong chance, the strongest we've had since the first Emery season. So, um, yeah, I, I think you know we shouldn't be afraid of saying that because if we're afraid of saying that it kind of and this goes for the team not the fans but if the if if the team aren't are afraid of saying that then maybe it's because they're afraid of doing it absolutely look there's nothing wrong with updating your expectations based on current factors and i think setting a lower bar is just a it's what do they call it the soft bigotry of low expectations right it's the idea that like oh if i say we should get top four and we don't then it means we failed somehow. Look, in the totality of the season, if we finish fifth, you could say that's fine. But if we finish fifth on 59 points, then I think you have a right to say, wow, you know, we could have done better, especially from the position. Think about Emery, right? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. I was going to say, like, 2016 was our best league finish since 2004. We finished second. How do you feel about that season? Arsenal's Twitter account was running that Welbeck goal again today. Um, How did you feel about that second place finish? Do do you look back and think, Christ, that was our best league finish in like nearly twenty years? No, a huge missed opportunity. Exactly. Yes, that's well said, Tim. And and I mean, look at the Emery season. That's a great example. Emery had us right there in touching distance for fourth place, which is something we've not achieved since. And that was viewed as a calamitous disaster because we were right there and we pissed it away against Palace and we pissed it away against, I think, Brighton and other teams. The the reality is, I mean, I'm going to say something that people are going to regard as crazy, but I think this is true. We'll see if it's true. But I think that we could lose to Chelsea, lose to Liverpool, lose to United, lose to Spurs, and lose to West Ham and still finish fourth. Because I think 66 points will get it done. And we could lose all of those games and still comfortably finish on 66 or 67 points. And I only say that to emphasize how up for grabs for us this is, how there it is for us. Uh, I'm just trying to say, like, Paul, I'm not, I want to be clear. At the start of the season, there was one set of expectations. Now we find ourselves with two very flawed, broken, mediocre teams, maybe three if you want to put it that way, chasing us where we have the better position and the better run-in and the ability to focus on it and probably the easier fixtures. And so it has changed. And like, I, this look, this is tedious. Ultimately, we've got to play one game at a time. You know, if you don't beat Brentford and you don't beat Wolves, all of a sudden this looks another way. I get it. But like, I'm saying they're not great teams either, those teams chasing. And we we are in a position to do it. And by the way, I think we will. I think we will. I, I think that Arteta has us playing well enough to be as good as we need to be to get there. But I'm curious if you are willing to accept that from this position, we have a right to expect it to happen. I, the only problem in all of that is the word expect. Otherwise, yes, right? I'm with you. I, I see it the same way. I think we've a re, I think of them all, we have the best shot um, at this moment. Uh, things change quickly. Expect is just... You know, that's expecting trouble from a, a fan standpoint, from a, 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 a reaction standpoint. It just is. Because even if we get there, we're going to have some setbacks. And then uh, it, it's not particularly helpful for the team, for the fans to be having a, a meltdown because the manager keeps playing this player. And, you know, they see a player or a choice by the manager of getting in the way of this thing that we now expect. So the only issue I have in everything you said is the fact, and, you know, it won't be just you who feels this, 
um, it's the, this expectation thing, depending. On, so it can be a very loaded word. But yeah, you're basically right. We're we're in a position where it's kind of in our hands at the moment, given how screwed up the other guys are. They may straighten themselves out in a month or two. So if we keep this going, I, I, I'd almost go back to the Wolves celebration comment. Like the one thing where I think they, I, I thought Tim did a lovely job on the whole scenario, but I think they kind of had a point. We did kind of over-celebrate from their standpoint because they don't get the context and there was something in that game that was about the fact that we this was it. This was us making our comeback. We, everybody knew within the club what the issue in January was, why we struggled with those games. We might not have liked it. We might have thought there were other things we could have done. But we can look at those games and rationalize each result. But this was the start of the 17 uh, cup finals, right? Mm-hmm. And... Like, you can't say, oh, scrap that. All right, starting now at 16 Cup Final. This was a really important game that we almost fucked up, but through heroic coming togethers, we kind of turned it around and and maintained and built on the narrative. I think there's something in this team and this squad that knows there's a real opportunity this season that this is a that it's almost kind of aligning for us now this starts to lead one back to expectations etc i just think it can be like it can be problematic to have expectations to the point where you think uh you know we get all hung up on a player who's not performing but the manager keeps picking him or something and it get it can get very very intense very quickly and you get this media shit and i i i kind of feel like let it go trust them a little bit but yeah we're there's a really good shot for us to get top four the only thing i the only problem i have with all of these 52 percent probabilities and this like one game one way for us and one game the other way for another team and suddenly 52 is now 35 is 27 oh you're back up to 64 like the the volatility is a huge aspect to it. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. I just want to say one thing about that. Those projections bake in who your remaining opponents are and stuff like that. Sure. So like like in order for it to change in the way you're saying, like United would have to like beat City away or Spurs would have to beat, you know, there would have to be an unexpected. Now they're going to be unexpected results, but this is the other point too. Sure, but, like, we, but on that, uh, Elliot, we played one game and between the last game and this game, we've moved from like 31% to 52%. Right. So can I can I make a point? And the reason is because United dropped points in two games that were absolutely three-point bankers for them. Mm-hmm. Spurs lost two games that were meant to be three points for them. And we picked up three points that we were defending based on the projections, more like one and a half points. So like sure, a lot we, of but, very, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But still, in the space of one game, one Arsenal game, we went from... I take your point. Yep, no, I get uh, it. And then we play fucking Wolves, right? It's not like we played United, uh, you know, our biggest, like... Volatility is volatility, and it's going to be volatile all the way through the season. But yeah, I agree. We've got a real shot at this. If we do what we need to do, if key player, if we keep our midfield, if we keep our defense, if Lacazette stays fit, gasp, Mm -hmm. um, and 
we get Martinelli in and he keeps doing what he's doing. And like, if we keep this team fit, yes. Yeah. And, and like, here's the thing, psychology plays a role in this too. So let's say we're doing okay. We're picking up some points, but you know, not all the points, but whatever. And then United go into their run where they go away to Atletico, away to City, home to Spurs, home to Atletico, away to Liverpool. Like they could come out of that run just psychologically absolutely broken and feeling like they're out of it. Spurs' very next game. So Spurs are reeling right now, right? Reeling. They lost to Southampton. They lost to Wolves. And what's their next game? City away. Now, maybe they win that game and it turns everything around and this conversation feels foolish. But if they don't, psychologically, how do they look? From a strong position to feeling like they're well out of it, especially if we beat Brentford. So this next couple of weeks in particular, where we're home to Brentford, home to Wolves, right? Where we're away to Watford, home to Leicester, away to Villa before we hit the next international break. Where our rivals are playing at City, at Liverpool, in the Champions League, in the FA Cup. That is really the point where I think this goes from theoretical to realistic. I'll I'll finish with you on this, Clive. Like, look, if I had to draw up how it doesn't happen, I'd say, well, we don't get the goals. You know, Lacazette doesn't score. We don't find the goals. And, and, you know, Kane gets hot or Ronaldo gets... I, I see how it can happen. But, like, I think the other thing that's so great about this... I, you know, I said this on a previous pod, but like Aaron Ramsdale has been relegated twice. Bukayo Saka, you know, he's still so young. We know the pain he suffered in the summer to, to make it to the Champions League. For Gabriel Martinelli and Smith Rowe to make it to the Champions League. You know, for, for Benjamin White, you know, to come up to a big club and make it to the Champions League. What it means for these young players to get there. In, in terms of helping their next level of development. You know, part of being a superstar is playing well, and part of being a superstar is being able to step up when the pressure is on and deliver. They have a chance now to get a little taste of that. 16 games left in the, in the driving seat. Go deliver. And I think it's not just that you deliver Champions League to Arsenal and what that means for our squad building, but also what it means for their development. I, I think that's part of the celebration, too, at the end of the Wolves game. These are players who have never tasted Champions League football. These aren't the days of eh, Mesut Ozil got it at you know Real Madrid and David Luiz won it with Chelsea. These are players that have it all to prove in their career, and this is how they can do it. Yeah, it's very important how players walk through the door. I think a lot of the players that come here before felt they're doing us a favour, or they're coming for they're coming for cash really in the Premier League exposure. And um, the players that we bought here need us, and they need they're, they're going to get exposed, but at a young age. They're playing for a teacher coach. It's going to teach them and improve them. Uh, I think the fit is much better, and we can all see that. I I do think that obviously going to Dubai is a big thing, and we've been away before, and it normally costs us disciplinary issues or poor form. <laughs> I think the Emory year we went away, if I remember rightly, and one of the first times we ever did it, and we come back and we lost all our form in the running, and um, Ramsey got injured, and that was that. Right, we 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 fell away. Um, so we've gone away to Dubai and we've, in my mind we've obviously had a reset we've said this is what we're trying to achieve these are our goals and I think Paul t- sort of alluded to it and touched on it that was what's behind the wall celebrations it's the first step of many and it meant something and they all know what it meant and I'm sure all the people that Tim was standing next to swaying next to all knew what it meant and people from the outside are wondering what does this mean? Why are they so excited? We know what we're trying to do. Maybe not shouting about it loud and saying we, we are going to get in the top four, but 
But you can't not see those celebrations and not realise new goals have been set. Although I don't want to say it out loud, them goals have been in my head for a long time. And I think, you know, this group, I think I think they actually deserve it, more so than the previous years, more so than the Emory years. I don't think we, we didn't deserve it. We were doing that's, it. that's absolutely right. Well said. We, we, we were doing stupid things. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. You know, May United got Ronaldo. We got William. The same anxiety that made us get it. Do you know what I mean? And we and we dropped him on top of somebody, our record signing, and put him in his position and sat him down. Stupid. We didn't deserve it, mate. It was stupid. Right? So, and there were so many stupid things that we did. If we get it now, I feel we deserve it. I think these players deserve it. I think the club has made better decisions. The club deserves it. I'm trying to hold on to my um, emotions, really, because if you don't get it, I'll be as disappointed as anybody, even though at the start of the year, fifth was fine. Sure. But it's not fine anymore, right? Well, like, that's a, like, c- c- can I give you a point on that? I think this is so important. And and Tim sort of struck on, hit on this, I feel like. If Leicester hadn't won the title that season, would they be disappointed? They'd be devastated. If you had told Leicester fans going into that season, you'll be devastated that you didn't win the title, they would have laughed at you. You can only interact with the realities as they exist. And I know for the people that believe in jinxes, and I have a hell of a jinx on me, I know, they will be furious with this whole conversation. Shut up, take it a game at a time, don't do this. But like, I just want to make the point that like, no one thinks we were good in the league last season. Do we think we had a good league season last year? No, we finished on 61 points. If we play at a 61 point pace the rest of the way, we'll finish on 65 points and I bet you we'll be tough. We only need to be as good the rest of the way as we were last season. Is it fair to expect us to be as good as we were last season during this run-in? I think that's fair, and I think we can. And that's why I think the expectation word can be thrown around a little bit. Now, at the very, very, very end of the season, if we don't get there, well, I say the season was a failure, disaster, everybody needs to lose their job. I mean, we'll have to see how it happens. But I certainly think from where we sit right now, we have every right to say, you got yourself in the position. The other teams have wilted. Now just go do the easy part. And I th- I think we will, but let's see. You know, the 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 spacing of the games is going to be frustrating. We want to go play them, but we've also been given a little bit of luck. The Liverpool game postponed, the Chelsea game postponed. So our next run of games during a period where Spurs and United have some tough ones are all, I hate the word manageable because in the Premier League manageable games can look like disasters very quickly. But this is the job. Next step, go beat Brentford at home. And hopefully you will. Tim's on Twitter. Roberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Vibes on Twitter. Clyde PFC. Thanks, Clyde. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me. Yankee Gunner. We'll have a lot of stuff coming up this week. I think we're going to do a Wolves rewatch to some extent. We'll probably do a data rewatch too and then marry those two together, see how they work together and go from there. Lots of other stuff. Uh, the Schadenfreude pod is out there if you want to listen to it, but there'll be another pod coming up later this week. So something for everyone. Congrats again to Arsenal World Champions. A Super Bowl for Arsenal. Who would have thought that would be in our trophy cabinet? But indeed it is. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Brentford nil.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.